Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Risen Life, in which we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and consider what Jesus' resurrection means for us who have been raised to new life in Christ. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So Gospel of John, chapter 20, that's where we're going to be studying this morning as we continue in our current series. Listen, I'm not sure exactly how it started or when it began, but I do know this, that at some point I began to struggle, and I was struggling hard. I mean, it got to the point of being a full-blown crisis in my life. I was living in Hungary at the time, and I was pastoring a church. Rosemary and I had just had our first child. Our son, Nate, was six months old at the time. And like I said, I was pastoring a church that Rosemary and I had started. And at this point, the church was doing really well. We had just finished getting registered as a, as a legal entity, and, and people were coming. People were growing in their faith. Uh, others were coming to faith for the first time in their lives. I was teaching the Bible twice a week, Old Testament on Wednesdays, New Testament on Sundays. And as I was doing that, something began to happen. As I was standing in front of people, teaching the Bible, I was plagued with these thoughts. Like, is this even really true? Here I was the guy talking about it, telling people about it, and yet in the back of my mind, there were these nagging questions. How do I know this is even true? Maybe I just believe this because other people told me it was true, and I just took their word for it. I I began having doubts about whether God even exists at all. And there I was, the pastor, right? Up until that point in my life, I had never struggled with believing. I had never struggled with believing in the existence of God. Or if you would have asked me, is the Bible true? Even if I didn't walk with God at certain times in my lives, there there was definitely a belief in my heart that these things were true, even if I, I wasn't living them out. And now here I was, for the first time in my life, teaching the Bible, pastoring people, and I was plagued with doubts. And I didn't know, who do I talk to about that? I'm the pastor. And I was worried. Where is this going to lead to? Like, what's going to be the end of this? And so I knew I needed to do something. Well, that began a journey in my life, which eventually led to me uh, enrolling in university and studying Christianity and world religions and the Bible at the university level. And as a result of that journey, Uh, I'm at a place today where I can tell you with, with certainty that I am more confident than I've ever been in my entire life right now that the Bible is, in fact, trustworthy and the gospel message of Jesus Christ is true. Now, maybe some of you have struggled with doubts in your own life as well. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with doubts. Maybe the people sitting next to you don't even know it. And you have doubts inside, uh, doubts in regard to believing in God or trusting in Jesus or, or whether you can really trust or believe in the Bible. Now, here's what I would tell you. Everyone struggles with doubts sometimes. But what matters is what you do with your doubts. I'm going to say that again. Everybody struggles with doubts sometimes. But what matters is what do you do with your doubts. Because here's the thing I believe. That rather than being a sign of spiritual collapse, doubts can actually be a sign of faith that is screaming out for substance and truth. 
right? It doesn't necessarily mean spiritual collapse. Rather, sometimes doubt can be the sign of faith that is really screaming out for substance and truth. And that's why if you respond to your doubts in the right way, if you respond well, your doubts, rather than being the end of faith, they can actually be the catalyst which leads to you digging in more and seeking more. And as a result, it can lead you to deeper, more robust faith in the end. You know, a friend called me up recently and they said, you know, I have, uh, I don't, they, they said this, I don't know what to do because I have a family member who was raised as a Christian, but now he says that he's having some doubts. He isn't sure anymore if he believes or, or if he can believe. And his friend, and this friend told me, you know, they, they asked, what do I say? Help me out. What, what do I say to this person? How do I help this person move from doubt to belief. And maybe some of you, you can resonate with that question. Maybe there's somebody in your life who comes to mind when you hear that. Maybe it's, it's actually you, and how, you're wondering, how do I move from doubt to belief? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at the story of one of the most famous doubters in all of history. You probably know him by this name. You've probably heard of him. He's called Doubting Thomas. But here's the thing about Doubting Thomas that I want you to remember. The Doubting Thomas, he didn't remain a doubter. That's the interesting thing about his story. At one point, Thomas moved from doubt to belief. And I kind of feel bad for the guy. It kind of reminds me of this guy I heard about who uh, he said, um, you know, his nickname was Stinky. And he said, you know, I had one bad day in the eighth grade, and then for the rest of my life, I got to live with this nickname. Everybody's calling me Stinky. Well, that's kind of like what it's like with Thomas. He's like... Guys, I doubted for like a week, okay? Can you cut me some slack? Like, just call me Thomas, right? We can drop the doubting. Maybe you just call me Believing Thomas because I believe now, okay? Guys, like, come on, uh, you know, and now I'm stuck with this nickname forever. Just call me Thomas, maybe Tom, right? Just stop the doubting Thomas. But listen, as we look at Thomas's story, we're going to see what it took for him to move from doubt to belief, and we're going to talk about what that means for our lives today. The title of today's message is From Doubt to Belief, and here's what we're going to see in this passage. Here's our takeaway truth, our summary sentence. I encourage you to write this down. Write it in your notes, in the margin of your Bible. Take a photo if that's what you got to do, but take this with you so that after you leave here today, you remember it. And this is also going to be our outline for studying the passage. You ready? Moving from doubt to belief involves hearing testimony seeing the evidence, and responding in faith. So we're going to take that sentence, and we're going to break it down as we study our passage today. So first of all, moving from doubt to belief. Let's just talk about that, moving from doubt to belief. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting in verse 19, here's what we read. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, we've read about this same event in another study we did just a couple weeks ago where we studied Luke chapter 24. We read about this event where on the day when he was resurrected, the very first Easter Sunday, Jesus that evening met with his disciples. And as he met with them, he showed them his wounds, his hands and his side where the spear had gone into his body and had pierced a hole into his heart to make sure that he was surely dead. 
And it says there, the disciples, as they saw Jesus, as they put their hand in his wounds, it says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Isn't that just like the understatement of the century, right? Like, they were glad. No, no, no. They were ecstatic. They were overjoyed. Their Savior was alive. He had conquered and defeated death. But look at what it says in verse 24. But Thomas... One of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know where he was. Maybe he was running errands. Maybe he was doing something else, but he wasn't there. And verse 25, the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails, I will never believe. See, Jesus had been crucified. Of course he didn't believe this. Jesus had died. That's not something that you just like get up and walk away from. He'd been stabbed in the heart and they buried him in a grave. And so Thomas figured, surely this can't be true, what these guys are saying, that Jesus has resurrected from the grave. There must be some other explanation for what they think they saw, Thomas thought. And here's what Thomas said. He said, look, the only way that I would ever be willing to believe that is if I could see Jesus with my own eyes and I could put my hand in his side. If that doesn't happen, then I will never believe. Now, on the one hand, Thomas was not asking for anything which the other disciples hadn't already received, right? The other disciples had had the opportunity to see Jesus with their eyes and put their hand in his wounds. So Thomas is essentially saying, what those guys got, I want to have that same opportunity. And yet, Thomas declared, that he would never believe unless he got those things. He was unwilling to accept the testimony of the other disciples, his very best friends in the entire world, who were all saying the same thing. And if you think about it, listen, if you never believed something, unless you saw it with your own eyes, unless you could touch it with your hands, well, that would exclude a lot of things. You know, we do this all the time. We exercise faith and belief based on other people's testimony. We do that all the time. For example, think about this. Thomas had never seen Moses. He had never seen Abraham. Thomas had never seen Babylon. He had never been to Rome. And yet he believed that all of those things existed. Why? He believed it based on the testimony of others and the evidence that existed. And yet, when it came to Jesus' resurrection, he was unwilling to accept the testimony of even his very best friends. Why would they lie about this? Maybe it's because the stakes were too high. Thomas said, you know what? The stakes are way too high. I can't just take your word for this. Maybe it was because the claim was so outrageous. Uh, maybe it was because he figured this must be a dream. It must be a hallucination. They just want to believe that this is true, so they kind of convinced themselves. That they made themselves believe that it was true. And yet, here's the other thing. If Jesus really did resurrect from the grave, then it would be really no big thing, right, for Jesus to come back and hang out with his disciples again. I mean, he spent every day for three years with these people. It would only make sense if he's alive again that he's going to meet with them one more time. So maybe the expectation was reasonable. But either way, look at what it says in verse 26. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were once again inside. Now, we don't know if this was inside the same house. We don't know if this was in Jerusalem or if it was in Galilee. I tend to think that it was not in the same house. It was actually up in Galilee, and here's why. Because in the other Gospels, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he told them, 
On that night, he said, now I want you to go up to Galilee. And in a few days, I'm going to meet you up there. All we know, we don't know where this happened, but we just know that once again, they were inside a house behind locked doors. And it says that Jesus came to them again. And he said, peace be with you. That sounds like a really churchy thing to say, but just understand that's just the normal Jewish greeting. Shalom. If you go with us to Jerusalem, to, to Israel, you'll hear people say this. It's just how they say hello. They say shalom. So Jesus comes into the room and he says, shalom. Hi, how are you? Right? And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. And then he says, do not disbelieve, but believe, but believe. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. Now, Jesus tells him this, and I want you to see this. Jesus wanted Thomas to move from doubt to belief. He says, Thomas, you doubt. That's okay, but I don't want you to stay in that place of doubt. I want you to move from doubt to belief. And here's what that means for us, and I want you to take note of this. Doubt may be a station that you pass through at different times in your life, but is not meant to be a destination where you remain. It's a station that we all pass through at different times in our lives, but it's not meant to be a destination where you remain. There's an interesting line in the book, Life of Pi. Maybe you've heard of it, or you've seen the movie, or read the book. Here's the line. It says this. Doubt is useful for a while, but eventually we must move on. To choose doubt as a philosophy of life is, is like choosing immobility as a means of transportation. Doubt is an inherent part of faith. Do you realize that? That part of having faith always implies that there's, a, there's an area, there's a way in which you're having doubts at the same time. If you didn't have doubts, you wouldn't need faith. You see, this is the thing. This is what the Bible tells us what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we're told that faith is having confidence in things or conviction about things that you cannot see. So if you could see it, you wouldn't have to have faith in it. And yet, we have to have faith. In other words, here's how I would put it for you. Doubt is not how faith ends. Doubt is not how faith ends. Rather, doubt is where trust begins. Doubt is where trust begins. Now, the Bible makes a clear distinction between two different words that I think sometimes get confused. The first one is doubt. That's what we're talking about. But the other one is unbelief. So in the Bible, it's really important to understand there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt 
is a struggle to believe. But you know what unbelief is? Unbelief is a refusal to believe. So doubt is a struggle to believe, but unbelief is a refusal to believe. Doubt is a tension in belief, but unbelief is a decision that you will not do it, right? It's a refusal. You know, sincere doubts, you could think, what are, what are doubts? Doubts are essentially unanswered questions, aren't they? That's what a doubt is. It's an unanswered question. I like to think about it that way, and here's why. Because the word question comes from the Latin word from which we get our word quest. And that's what a question is. It's a quest. What's a quest? It's a journey that you set out on. It's an adventure. And what do you do in that adventure? You are diligently looking for something. You are seeking something. And your goal is not to stay on that quest in perpetuity, not just to stay on that quest forever. Your goal in that quest is to find the thing that you are looking for. That's the purpose. And so the goal of the quest is not to stay on quest forever. It's to find the thing you're looking for. Now, there are a few ways that I think people commonly respond to the idea of doubt, right? So a few common responses to doubt. One common response to doubt is to demonize it. Maybe you've experienced this in your life. You've expressed some doubts or some questions, and people have said, hey, hey wait a second. You're asking too many questions. Stop asking questions. You know, stop, uh, stop, stop worrying about that and just believe. You know, stop, stop asking these questions. Stop digging into these things. You should just ignore your doubts and believe. Maybe people have made you feel bad for having doubts or expressing doubts. Well, that's one way is by demonizing doubt. The other extreme of this that a lot of people respond to doubt, which I think is really popular today, is to idolize doubt, right? There's this sense in which some people don't demonize doubt. They go to the other extreme. They idolize it. It's kind of cool right now. It's like faddish to say that you're deconstructing your faith, right? You, 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 uh, you don't want to believe just because other people believe. So you're deconstructing. You're uncertain. You, you're undecided. And people who idolize doubt, these are people who view doubt not as a station that you pass through and eventually move past, but they view doubt as like the destination that they hope to arrive at, the place where they have no intention of ever moving beyond. They want to just doubt and stay there forever. That's idolizing doubt. But if we look at the Bible, if we listen to Jesus, we have to conclude that neither of these two responses is acceptable. It's not acceptable for us to demonize doubt. We can't do that. But neither can we idolize doubt. The, the proper way, the biblical way to think about doubt is this, recognizing doubt as an opportunity to grow in authentic and vibrant faith. I like how Frederick Buchner put it. He said, doubts are like the ants in the pants of faith. They keep you moving and alive, okay? <laughs> They're the ants in the pants of faith. They keep you moving and alive. See, here's the thing about doubts. We want to believe things that are true, Right? And therefore, the truth is never afraid of honest questions. Truth is never afraid of honest questions, never afraid of inquiry. It's never afraid of investigation. Because if something is true, then any inquiry, any investigation will only serve to prove that it's true. So we want to encourage people to ask questions, to dig in, to, to ask those questions. So the Bible doesn't demonize doubt. You know what it does? Actually, the Bible, here's what it says about how we should react to people who have doubts. Look at what it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 22. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. 
It's a very interesting passage, and we're going to study it in more detail next week, but it's in Matthew chapter 28, where we read that after Jesus' resurrection, he met with his disciples on a certain mountain in Galilee. That's what it says there, that they went to this mountain in Galilee where Jesus told them to go, and check out this next verse. It's incredible. It says this, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Think about that. How incredible is that? There they are. They're looking at Jesus with their eyes, and they're worshiping him. And at the same time that they're looking at him and worshiping him, some of them are having doubts still in their hearts. But you know what else this tells us? This tells us that it is possible to struggle with doubts and still worship Jesus at the same time. I'll tell you that one more time. It's possible to struggle with doubts and still worship Jesus at the same time. But here's the thing. If you just suppress your doubts, if you try to ignore them, if you try to brush them under the rug and, and pretend they don't exist, not only will they not be resolved, but they will come back later. They're not going to go away. They'll, they'll pop their head up in the future. And I just want to encourage you, parents in particular, if you have kids who have questions about God, if you have kids who express doubts when it comes to believing in Jesus or, or following Christianity or, or believing in the Bible, I want to encourage you, don't discourage your kids from asking those questions. Don't discourage your kids from expressing their doubts. And I'll you, that's not just true of kids either, by the way. If any of you have friends or family members, loved ones who are expressing doubts, don't just try to shut them down. Don't suppress those things. Hear them out. Listen to them and do the best that you can to sit with them and answer those questions. Tell them why you believe. Tell them that there are real answers out there. Help them find those answers. In our day and age, they're more easy to find than they've ever been at any point in history ever before. And there are excellent answers out there to all the questions that people have. If you don't know where to get those answers, talk to people who do. Talk to brothers and sisters in the church. Talk to our church leadership. We have four books in our, in our bookstore right now that are on this topic of answering the questions that people have. In fact, our book of the month is one aimed at teenagers to answer the questions that many teens today are asking. Listen, we don't want to discourage people from asking questions. Rather, we want to encourage people to keep asking questions, to keep seeking, to keep knocking and pressing in and asking those tough questions. Here's why. Because we sincerely believe that deeper faith calls out to us from the other side of our sincere questions. Deeper faith calls out to us from the other side of our sincere questions. And we believe that God will be found by those who genuinely seek him. Listen, just as Jesus told Thomas, the goal is not to remain in the place of doubt. The goal is to move from doubt to belief. So how does that happen practically? Well, let's continue on in our sentence for today. Moving from doubt to belief involves, first of all, hearing testimony. Hearing testimony. You know, the one thing I really like about Thomas is this. At least he was honest. At least he was honest that he didn't believe. He didn't try to pretend. He didn't try to placate the others by saying, okay, sure, I believe. No, no, no. He was honest. And he said, I, I won't believe. Now, I don't agree with the standard of evidence that he demanded, but I appreciate the fact that he was honest. And yet, look at what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 29. In verse 29, Jesus says to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, Thomas was in a unique position. He lived at a time, and he lived in a place where Jesus was physically present after his resurrection. But what if Thomas 
had not had the opportunity to see Jesus, to put his hands in his wounds, would he have been willing to believe simply based on the testimony of others? Because listen, for the majority of people throughout history, that's the exact situation that we're in. If other people had taken the same tact as Thomas and said, I won't believe unless I can put my hands in his wounds and see him with my eyes, then Christianity would have died out within one generation. But here's what's so interesting. 1 Peter and 2 Peter, in those two letters written by the Apostle Peter to Christians who were spread out all over the Roman Empire, but by that time when Peter wrote at the end of his life, there were multitudes of Christians spread out all over the Roman Empire. And so Peter wrote to these believers, many of whom were experiencing persecution for their faith in Jesus. And he told them two really important things. The first thing he told them is found in his first letter. Here's what he says in, in chapter 1, verse 8 of his first letter. He says, Brothers and sisters, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That was the first thing he told them. Even though you don't see him, you believe. But here's the other thing he said in his second letter. He said this, listen, the things we told you about Jesus, they are absolutely true. And you can be sure that they're true. They're not myths. They're not fables. We were eyewitnesses of these things. That's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says, we were eyewitnesses. We saw these things with our own eyes. We know that they are true. In other words, Christianity, as it spread around the world, it spread based on the testimony of those who had seen. You've been listening to Be Set Free the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.